Adventist Radio London, inspiration for the soul. Welcome to Let's Talk Business. I am your host, Claudia, Claudia Welsh, and today we have Aisha Ejaz. Now, Aisha, welcome to Let's Talk Business here at Adventist Radio London, and thank you so much for deciding to join, agreeing rather, to join us. Thank you, Claudia, for having me. I'm absolutely delighted to join you today. Indeed, and we're happy to have you too. Now, I want to, before we get into what you do for your business, I just want to sort of have a little poke. I remember when I started talking to you, we met we met at a networking group, and when I started talking to you, I heard accents, and um, I was a bit puzzled trying to figure out where these accents uh, because I'm, I'm sure there are more than one they're a bit of a bit of a combination where they were from tell us a little bit about your background and where the where, where these accents could possibly be coming from it'll be a pleasure <laughs> <laughs> um well actually i was um uh, born in pakistan and i grew up in the middle east amongst the american community so i went to the american school and had american friends and as you as you know, um, amongst Americans, you then just sort of gel with them and you get along with them and, and everything sort of becomes very Americanized. So even though I was in the Middle East, which is a very non-American area, um, uh, the, the community that I grew up in was fantastically American, everything. So you could imagine baseball to um you know physical education stuff so it's like, like living in america but it was literally it was living within um america a little america within the middle eastern <laughs> country and stuff but um so i learned my um abcs and my english from the americans and um eventually um that's how it all sort of started and then um, I, I got sent to the UK for boarding school and my accent started to assimilate to the English accent a little bit. Um, <laughs> so now eventually after all these years, um, I think I have a pretty good mix of the two accents. So when I'm speaking with English friends or, or British friends, they're mm -hmm. like, gosh, you sound so American. And, and when I'm speaking with the Americans, they're like, gosh, you sound so English. And I'm like, believe me, it, my accent is nowhere close to being anything like English. English oh, at, one, yeah. at one point I thought you were from Canada as well I, I had that there you, you yes, may have gotten I, that I have that a lot as well and I'm like yes actually I am the citizen of the world I um, love people I love to meet people from all over the place mm. um, and you know what we enrich each other we really really enrich each other we don't have to be the same our differences actually are meant to mm. enrich us and empower us um, because that's our unique selling point. You know, we're different. Of course, of course. We're not, we're not meant to be identical twins, all of us. And you right. don't have a garden with just one set of flowers. It will always have all type of plants, shrubs, flowers, and the whole thing makes it beautiful. Now, yeah. I want to ask you, languages. 
How, do you only speak English or do you still keep some of the languages from the country, from, from Pakistan in particular? Yes, I, I'm, I'm bilingual. Um, I'm, in fact, you could call it trilingual because I can speak two other languages, but not fully. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of say that, yes, I am bilingual, uh, fluently bi- bilingual, but if you want to call me trilingual, then yes, I am trilingual as well. But the other two languages um, being Arabic and French, I, I'm conversational to a certain extent, but yes. I'm not fluent, fluent in them. So I, I always say, yes, I'm bilingual. So I can speak Urdu and I can converse in it. And the same thing in English, my fluency is pretty much the same with both languages. Fantastic. Because I'm listening and what I'm hearing for a businesswoman, I'm hearing dynamics and I'm not hearing just the business. I'm hearing the, the market that you can communicate with and to for your business. Now, a little bit more uh, more about you. When you left, well, you left Pakistan as a young person and you were raised, were you raised in uh, Dubai with your family? Did everybody move across? I, I was literally, I think, about a couple of months old when my family literally moved over to Saudi um. Arabia. Um, and 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 literally, you know, from what, being less than a year old, um, I've been brought up internationally. So um, I guess that's where my sort of uh, uniqueness sort of comes to play in Indeed. terms of my my strategic guidance as well, in terms of personal requirements. You know, strategy is there even in our personal lives, whether yes. we like acknowledge that or not and within the business side of things so you know there's a strategy in every single step of our life as individuals there's strategy so that's why it's so close to me as an individual and as a professional as well and and if I look at my sort of background everything is very strategic into why I landed where I landed how I landed um so when I look at my sort of um background it's very strategically laid without sort of thinking about it it was there was no thought process that yes this is the strategy we're going to follow but when i look back onto things everything just sort of fell into place very very strategically that way Um, so yeah so that's basically um everything about me in in that respect that um, i i i grew up in I, I was born in one country, I grew up in another, and then grew up more further in another one, and then chose to settle there. So um, I finally ended up in the UK as a result. And how do you uh, find the transition from uh, Dubai to the UK? Because it's total—it's two separate types of living. They're different in a sense. How how did you adapt to it first of all, and uh, how how do you find it now? Now that you've adapted. Well, um, it wasn't Dubai, it was in Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia is even more different um, than, than Dubai is mm-hmm. in comparison to the um, sort of the relaxations, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, you know, I grew up among, amongst the Americans and stuff. So it was, um, I had sort of, I was living in two worlds within one country. Mm-hmm. So I, it didn't seem like it was some kind of difficulty for me to to adapt within that space as well so where i i was living in saudi arabia i had the sort of conservative saudi society for instance mm-hmm. i also had the ability to then mingle and be myself amongst the sort of american society so it wasn't that much of a culture shock for me to sort of then come across 
over to the UK or anything and feel like, oh my gosh, everything is way too free or anything like that, because I'd already experienced the different cultural ways of, of uh, doing things, if you will, because the Saudis will do stuff in their way, Americans will do stuff in their way, mm -hmm. the Pakistanis do stuff in their way. So, you know, there, every single thing, everything that touched me while I was growing up has certainly added to the individual that I am today. I don't think there was um, anything that I would look at as a negative, because even mm -hmm. if some, an experience may have been negative, I'm sure it sort of taught me something along the way. That's right. Um, so looking at and accepting my negatives or my failures or whatever is how I've been able to keep moving forward and sort of have that confidence and then be at, at peace with myself in terms of who I am. Fantastic. That's, that's very optimistic. I'm loving it already. I am. Yes. So uh, you, you've, I'm listening to you and I'm hearing and I can, I can almost see how your thought process is when it comes to your line of business and before i even ask you why you go into that line of business what was family life for you growing up family life uh, family life we are a very close-knit family um you know mom was a doctor and um dad was in business and in in the construction and property world and that kind of thing and uh it was always about you know there's nothing that we can't achieve you know regardless of who we are where we are and what the circumstances were it's about what you can do for yourself you know how can you change circumstances there's a lot of sort of willpower involved mm -hmm. in making things happen that you would want happen and even if certain things aren't going in your way well you can actually tweak them to get your way eventually <laughs> um and doing all that you can you also then sort of learn there's compromise as well so you're not necessarily going to get everything you want yes the way you want it it may come in a different package size or, or something like that but then you either accept it and you compromise because you're still getting what you were wanting yes. or you just sort of say well no actually i don't want that i want something else i want the right thing the right size and everything else um, that goes with it and if that's the case then what needs to happen for you to achieve that for you to get that gift or that sort of special dress or shoes or whatever it may be in, in, in <laughs> or handbag handbag in your case handbag exactly yeah <laughs> and we have this like um, a secret she loves she has fantastic taste for handbags guys <laughs> okay i want you to sort of just Tell us a little bit about your business. What is it? How did you get into that line of work? And I think you wanted to say something about the devotion before. Yes, I did. Um, I thought the, um, the the prayer that you opened the session with, the, the hour with, was just absolutely beautiful. Um, the integrity and honesty bit is is so close to my heart as an individual, as a, as a professional, um, as somebody in business. Um, and second i sort of start seeing that uh, honesty and integrity aren't important to people i i start backtracking so yes absolutely you know in integrity and honesty mm -hmm. are foundations on what i build my relationships on whether they be personal or or business focused so i thought it was an absolutely beautiful path to start with. well thank you very much for sharing that you know and it's very very important that you sort of mention it so we can understand your value system as well and those are very good value systems thanks so 
How did Aisha came to do strategic consultants? Where did this come from? Tell us about it. Tell us about your business. Well, I've been um, working with um, SME businesses for the last 20 years, and I started off working with SME businesses within private equity, so helping them. And the SME folks is the small and medium and entrepreneurial enterprises. Yes, that's right. Yes. Um, And helping them raise funding from private investors. So I, I started looking at the, the propositions that were coming through for funding um, from private investors. And that's how I started my career in terms of the working side of things. Um, and that was very, very interesting because I was actually doing my MBA in entrepreneurship at the time from Halt Business International School. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just sort of gelled really well with my um, focus and and the job that I was then delivering on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fantastic because you get to see so many different um, types of propositions coming in. Um, and even if they're slightly similar in terms of what the offer is, there was always something different because obviously people are different. We have different looks and, and things like that. Give us an example of a type of proposition that you would get, something that would be typical for you in your business? Well, initially, we would get a lot of um, businesses that were very lifestyle focused. So like dry cleaners, they they needed funding because they need new machinery, for instance. And um, or we would get um, funding from individuals who are setting up their individual consultancies or they were setting up their individual practices and things like that. The large chunk of these businesses, unfortunately, would never get funded by a private investor because they're very focused on uh, fulfilling a lifestyle requirement of the business owner, as opposed to looking at any kind of exponential and explosive growth Mm. attached to the business. Um, so, So the private investors would look at the exponential growth types of businesses because at the end of the day, they're looking at for a return on their investment. Of course. Would be investing their own hard earned money, for instance, or inherited funds, but it's precious money. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's money that could, well, it is money that becomes um, their, their children's inheritance in the future as well. So it's, it's very um, emotional in terms of that sort of process and selecting the business and, and what kind of business that they want to, potentially help moving forward. Um, so that is how we would distinguish which potential businesses would be more attractive to investors and which wouldn't be attractive to investors. To okay, so the ones that are lifestyle would be least likely. Not that they can't get it, but they'd be least likely. Uh, maybe if they're trying to open a franchise, that would make a difference as opposed to running a small shop. Even a franchise, again, you know, and until they've really gone and, and dug their sort of foundations in mm-hmm. and they brought a proof of concept, you wouldn't necessarily get a private investor on board with the franchise funding okay. early on. Okay, okay. Thanks for that. Now I'm going to probe a little bit more. So what kind of businesses, you, you, you mentioned that the ones that exponentially grow, what are some examples of those type of businesses that the private uh, investors would want to put their money in because they're thinking about the generation after them, they're thinking about legacy, what would they want to invest in? What well, would- basically, investors are looking to invest in businesses that would perhaps 
disrupt an existing way of doing things, for instance. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, um, if we were to look at the iPhone or the smartphone, let, let's just call them smartphones for the sake of it. Yes. If, if Steve Jobs had come to us to say, we want investment for the iPhone, we would then look at it and consider it really, really seriously because it is technology mm -hmm. and technology is always exponential and, and right. growth associated. Mm -hmm. Plus, it was also a disruptor of the market, of the, the phone market, basically. Everything suddenly is available on your fingertips. You know, you're no longer rushing around and, and trying to figure things out and stuff. So if Steve Jobs had ever come to us for funding, <laughs> um, he would be oversubscribed for sure. Um, you know, all our investors would have potentially be running towards him okay. to make that investment. Mm. So those are the kinds of businesses. So technology-based, any um, fintech-type businesses, so financial technology-type yes. businesses health tech so health technology so anything that has technology associated with it is typically going to give you those good returns now um anything that is also not necessarily technology but artificial intelligence may be so now those kind of businesses will also be very very lucrative for investors to potentially look at but it's not always just the sector that the the investors are looking at they're mm -hmm. also looking at the, the people behind the business the management team the personalities the commitment that was what i was coming to i was going to say even if they have the the, the right uh construct for what they want how would you choose your clients do you check does your clients choose do the clients choose you or do you choose them and how do they would the investors have that type of relationship so basically um what i would do is i would uh, arrange showcase events so mm -hmm. the we would choose from about thousands of business plans we would only take 42 businesses across to investors in a year okay. so you can imagine how selected selective we were very selective the propositions that were going through now the um the 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 criteria and how the investors then chose which businesses to actually deal with was all based on, okay, they, they look at the presentation, they watch the presentation, the pitch happens. Um, and then after the pitch, there's sort of informal networking and speaking and, and discussions going on where they can then sort of start to see, okay, well, you know what, maybe this, this sounds of interest. I like the guy. I think um, there's, there's potential there. So then starts the process of, due diligence, yes. uh, you know, then starts getting to know the people. Okay, so I'm interested in the proposition, the business proposition, but what more is there that I, I need to know? So then the investors will do their due diligence and clever entrepreneurs will do their due diligence on the investors who are showing interest in them. Um, so it's not only a one-sided um, transaction. Yeah, uh, and I was going to say, it, both people have to know their their craft and yeah. if you're we, we spoke earlier when you said if you're running a business you must understand the finance of it as well from the bottom up not handing it over to an accountant and then wanting figures back talk oh. me through that 
Yes. Um, oh, so basically, just very quickly. Um, so starting my career off in private equity, and then I moved into the banking world because yes. I wanted to see the sort of um, uh, 360 degree funding life cycle of, of a small to medium enterprise mm -hmm. um, and how entrepreneurs would actually fund their businesses. So when I moved into the banking world, um, things became really, really obvious that a lot of the business owners who are coming into the bank for funding requirements did not know their numbers very well. Now, in contrast to the the, the guys or the girls who are coming to me in the private equity side of things, yes. asking for investment, they knew their figures inside out. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, you ask them a question, and it's literally within 30 seconds you'll have the answer um contrast that to people who are coming to business owners who are coming to banks to ask for funding and stuff they didn't know their business plans and they didn't know their financials because most of the time you know when you're looking to start a business you're you're actually just going to start a business you're going to focus on okay how can i tell people i'm doing the business how can i um get my message across how can i start selling how can i make my first sale mm -hmm. but what a lot of business owners i won't say everyone mm -hmm. um but what a huge chunk of business owners actually um do a disservice to themselves is that they go top down and I'll explain that. So the top down is going from, okay, selling, how do I sell? How do I get to, to X customer or whatever, yes. whatever that approach is top down. What you do want to do is you want to take the down top approach, a bottom up approach, basically. And the bottom approach, bottom up approach is it's a strategy yes. and, the reason that you use the strategy is so that you know your numbers inside out. So mm. how many sales do you want to make in the first day that you launch? How many sales do you want to make in the first week that you launch? How many in the first month? How many in the first quarter? How many in the first half year? You know, this is the bottom up approach. You need to know your numbers crystal clear mm -hmm. so that when you do go down the route of selling and marketing and, and looking at getting money into your business mm -hmm. you know exactly where the gap is if if a gap is to develop and or where it could gap. develop yes it will definitely develop mm -hmm. in the early potentially three to five years you're going to have a lot of calibration <laughs> taking place you know there's a lot of um, <laughs> tweaks happening while you're, you're you're developing your business as it goes along yes so while the bottom-up approach is one which focuses on numbers initially we don't know whether those numbers are relatively realistic or they're absolutely bonkers. but it's a good starting point isn't it it's a good but it is, exactly mm -hmm. because what you're keeping in mind is your personal income mm -hmm. right so what do you want to take home from your business. Now, if you keep that in mind, then you're going to make sure that those numbers are delivered on so that you're not hand to mouth all the time. That's right. You're not struggling all the time. So you've got something set away for the rainy day because in business, there are lots of rainy days. Oh, yeah. Uh, so there's lots of external factors that affect us. Like, for instance, the current um, times of crisis that we're in. Um, who, who would have foreseen that? You know, we're all going to be in lockdown. Businesses are going to have to be uh, changing and pivoting and, and doing things differently. And a lot of businesses, unfortunately, have been sailing very close to the wind for a very long time. They've not looked at contingency planning. They, they think this is only what the big firms do. But really, if you're turning over 
anywhere up to $10 million uh, in revenue, then you do need to start looking at things just as the bigger businesses start looking at things. I like the fact that you brought up about uh or small businesses not thinking too much on contingency. They're more thinking to uh, making making sales, uh, the, the top-down approach, and the focus seemed to be right there. Uh, I do like the fact that you've pointed out if we have solid foundation in the business coming up, when things are changing and you're adapting, you have a good reference point at the bottom. So when you've been asked questions about somebody wanting to invest in your business, you'll understand that uh, this is where we started from. This is why we made these adjustments. And here is where we're at. There's where we're going. But the contingency is something that we don't um, think about in the in the sense that it's said. How does a small business start thinking about contingency? What should they think about and what should they prioritize? Because they're already small and maybe not making enough money as yet for the first maybe three to five years before they start making some. Yeah. So let's say, you know, if let's say you need $1,000 on a monthly basis to yes. survive, for mm-hmm. instance. Right. This is your absolute minimum. So your household uh, mortgage, your rent, um, if, if that's the, your current situation, your food, your entertainment, your anything else that you may require. Let's just start with a very simple, straightforward thousand dollar monthly expenditure requirement that you have. Now, in that thousand dollars, if that's what you're going to put into your financials, guess what you're going to get? You're probably going to receive half the thousand dollar income. <laughs> Right. It's almost never going to hit it on the dot because there are going to be so many moving elements that are going to affect that thousand dollars. So what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to double your take home, if not triple it in your financials. Yes. And and then that's your starting point. So if you need a basic thousand dollars, you need to really be putting in three thousand dollars within your financials, because that's when you're working in a contingency mm-hmm. as a norm, as part of your overall business function. So again, these are strategic um, sort of considerations which a lot of small businesses don't think to to incorporate, um, because it's just easier to just go out and try start selling and hopefully make make money and uh, you know um, have better lives and stuff like that but if you really want to pay off your mortgage for instance Mm -hmm. and you want to have a nice car and just a nice life live a good quality of life and nothing is wrong with that exactly and you don't want to pull your hair out (laughs) over your business uh, situation then do yourself a favor be kind to yourself and work in the contingency planning on a monthly basis in fact to certain individual clients i i i say work it in weekly because their requirement is that way so depending on the business depending on the kind of challenges they're facing so the strategies will change but on a basic level everyone um regardless of how small you are, whether you're just starting off, try and work in up to three times your take-home income. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying the revenue or the turnover of the business. Mm -hmm. I'm saying what you will take away from the business to survive as an individual. That's beautiful. I am loving it, and I'm sure our audience they are finding this rather interesting because I do get the feedbacks, but sometimes I have to balance that with what time we have, which is so precious. Now, wh- I asked you about how uh, choosing clients. 
Now, you've mentioned that honesty and integrity is very important to you. How do you, after going through a thousand uh, business plans and you come down to 42 and you're going to look through those 42 for the year and you how do you pick the right person because i remember about a while ago you say uh um, someone might say i like that guy what is it about people because when it comes down to it it is about working with people the business is right what is it about people that when once the paperwork is done that you have to look at to see if they complement for the business for for your service well again it's you know investing is going to be different from person to person from mm-hmm. investor to investor from yes. entrepreneur to entrepreneur from the business sector to sector basically mm-hmm. but one of the the basics of any kind of what we call a business to business interaction or a business to consumer interaction a b2b um and b2c B2C. i'm sure people Mm -hmm. are familiar with these terms Mm -hmm. um there's always people behind them you know there's always people behind them so regardless of whether you're dealing with business entities or you're dealing directly with consumers everything has a person behind it Mm -hmm. and that's one of the main considerations for investors as well because investors are not investing for say two months or or one month they're investing for anywhere between at least in the uk i can say this for for sure is that they're investing for anywhere between three to five years because Mm -hmm. they're not planning on um, you know, staying with the business forever more. They want to invest. They want to contribute if, if their expertise and their contacts are required. Mm-hmm. And then they want to move along. So what makes them want to invest in a business is the personality. Now, personality of both individuals, mm-hmm. the investor and the entrepreneur, the entrepreneur and his management team or her management team. So it could be four or five people as part of the team. Now, do all four or five people gel with this investor or not? Is there one individual who doesn't quite suit investor's personality or, you know, those kind of things. So that's all that starts happening and and sort of psychological decisions are being made during the due diligence process. So there's a lot of stuff that doesn't get said um, (laughs) and and is read and there's a lot of stuff that gets said and and is understood. Yes, we call it the unsaid but understood, (laughs) you know, it's just there. And this is to highlight to our listeners that it's good if you got a fantastic business plan and and it's something that people want to invest in. But the bottom line is how do I get on with you? can I work with you? Because if that cannot happen, then it doesn't matter how great the plan is, how wonderful the business is, if that synergy may not happen. It just may not work. Indeed. And and also um, the, the aspect of not only the personalities in terms of making the investment, but if you can't get along with somebody for, mm-hmm. say, a week, yeah. imagine how you're going to get along with them in three, to five, three to five years. <laughs> Um, and and also make sure that your investment actually brings in the returns that you're expecting. So it's so, so important that the uh, personalities are there. Plus, the investors are looking at the commitment of the management team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how committed are they to the, their proposition? And there are lots of different ways that the investors will um, find out what level of commitment the management team has to the business. And one of them is... Are you working full-time or are you part-time in this business? Mm-hmm. That's going to be 
the first question, if it's not been made very, very clear within their pitch that yes, the management team works full time on the business, mm -hmm. then they're going to be asking this question. They're going to want to know what level of commitment are you um, showing your business and what level of risk have you um, yes. taken in the proposition because it's not like you're only expecting me to take on the risk now it could be one investor it could be five investors who are interested in making the investment so they're all going to be asking the same kinds of questions mm -hmm. um so can you demonstrate that um are you able to tell them that yes i'm committed to the business because i'm I've, i work full-time within the business um i have no other interests or um all my finances are completely blocked with the business yes. um everything i own is in the business my property is mortgaged to the hilt because i've invested in the business <laughs> my wife was against it you know or my husband was against it things like that so that is showing commitment yes. beyond and belief you know, as well yes yes indeed and add confidence and belief in yourself that yes you're going to make this work now if you cannot demonstrate that then the investors are going to be like well why do you want my money? Why do you want me to put my neck on the line of and risk course. stuff when you're of not course. ready to risk it? Indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, we are with Aisha Ijaz and she's talking strategic consultancy. She's talking to us business people. How do we make sure that people are willing to invest in us. She's talking about our personalities. They have to mesh with those of the investors. We have to show that level of commitment. There has to be the, no, the knowledge of numbers. Know our figures when we're doing business and have some strategy as good foundation from the bottom, from the start of the business, from the early stages, go up so you're growing with your business so when a question is asked you have an answer you know where you're at know where you're going and so the person who you want to come and share their hard earned or inherited but hard earned either way funds with you for your business can also see that level of commitment because everyone is taking a risk of some sort now i you talked about risks earlier and we understand that i wanted to ask this question what about people people who are transitioning from their work into business what would what would what advice would you give them for seeking the uh, advice of a strategic consultant I think um, it would be highly advisable because um, when you're moving and, and you're doing that transition, um, and again, it's not just because I, I'm a strategic consultant, but because I've made that transition and I know that I, I um, would have hugely benefited from consulting with a strategic consultant in the early days. Yes. Just because I was advising businesses and stuff like that um, doesn't really give me any kind of um, uh, credibility in being able to run my own business. That's they're two different things. So mm -hmm. when you're working for employers, you, you end up with a certain mindset. When you start to have your own business, it's a completely different mindset. That's right, yes. So would you recognize that as an individual who's just sort of finishing off their working life and then moving? You wouldn't recognize it unless you're, you experience it yourself after sort of lots of peaks and troughs within your life cycle of, of developing your business, or you either um, have, have taken the advice of a strategic consultant on board and they're going to 
advise you on on these things or like I did I had a mentor um, and and my mentor advised me that actually do you realize that you're still within your corporate mindset and and that's when at first the penny drop for me was that whoa okay so yes. there is definitely a different mindset that I need to be developing and, and not throwing money at everything like the corporates do um, you know my pockets aren't as deep for instance oh yes i, I tell um, you so what yes it's it's i tell you what sorry to um, just cut across i'm so excited uh, um i i recall that in even the way i work as well um there's, there's a total different way of thinking and until you're in the deep end you don't really realize do you that hold on you've got to make this work and that's the mindset that you exactly. need fantastic wow i'm glad i asked Again, you that you question Risk mitigation at every stage of, of whatever you're going to be doing in business is extremely important. So from, from managing yourself as a business owner to um, the risks that are involved in being in business itself. You know, a lot of a lot of business owners don't don't uh, recognize that running a business is risky um, and, and they, they try to run the business avoiding all types of risk and and you know what it'll it'll only remain a hobby business because they're so 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 careful around risk mm -hmm. sometimes you've got to throw caution to the wind as well and Ooh. just sort of say hey you know what i'm going to take this risk and i'm going to face it straight on and i'm going to deliver on what exactly i want to deliver on so i've got a bit of a cavalier approach sometimes to risk where i you know if it's a risk that i want to take and it's something which i feel is calculated yes. um and it's not one which although even if i feel a little uh, uncomfortable in, in taking that risk i will still take that risk so I always say, you know, take the risk that you can absorb, that you can actually take on within your personality and, and survive as an individual Fantastic. and remain positive. Oh, I like that. Remain positive. That's a word used very often in the studio. <laughs> now, now uh, we, do, we don't have a lot of time left, but I'm very um, pleased. We just want to find out a little fun stuff about you. Now, sure. if you were on an island, stranded, what three things would you keep? Three things, okay. I'm well, giving you all of things. three. How generous am I? <laughs> well, I think um, everything would be related to technology for me because I need to be in touch with people. So with my family, um, with clients, uh, with people in general, um, you know, zooming um, across the world, regardless of where I am. Um, and so it would be a broadband connection. Um, so I can connect with the internet, a smartphone and my charger at least. I don't know, you might have to use solar power on that island. <laughs> Fantastic. So I'll never be bored. It'll be like quarantining on an island as long as you've got your technology with you. Should be okay. Oh, bless. And what do you look forward to most in life? What do I look forward to most in life? Mm -hmm. Wow, that, that's a very deep question. Let mm. me think for a second. I think what I look forward to most in life is, is being able to leave an impact in the world. Um, from the knowledge that I've generated, from the lives that I've gone through and who've touched me across my entire life as well through the different continents that I've traveled from. Um, there's a lot that I can contribute in different areas and stuff. You know, I want to be able to bring up people. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I set up my own consultancy was because I saw a lot of business owners out there who were sort of just 
they needed that kind of direct advice, whether it be in, in the private equity side of things, so angel investing, or mm-hmm. be in the banking side of things. I saw there was a gap in the market and wanted to help uplift people. And that's the kind of impact that I want to leave um, behind me, is that somebody to sort of say, yes, Aisha is the one who actually got me to where I am today. So that's wow. where, you know, that's what is my focus in, in, in the world, is to make a, a special impact in people's lives. And I'm going to be cheeky. What's the best investment you've ever made? <laughs> best investment I've ever made. Okay. The best investment I ever made was one which I was very reluctant to make. Wow. Um, and that's a very recent investment, I would have to say. The reason I was reluctant to make it was, again, um, time constraints. Okay. Um, I'm, I, I've just invested in... Um, writing a book so i'm going to be becoming an author by the end of congratulations hopefully Hopefully. (laughs) you will you will um and and i think that's one of the best investments that i've made it's not a huge investment but it's definitely an investment which is going to add to me as an individual um and and that for me is 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 probably the best investment in the recent times um just sort of thinking and from the top of my head right away um but yeah that 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 is very very important basically anything that is for me is is going to be the best investment so whether it's just going out for a walk you know that time invested is good time invested well said well said and i like the fact that she talk about the investment meaning it doesn't have to have money in in the sense of money attached to it it can be invaluable it's a legacy it's something that when you're when you're no longer here it will be here there will be testament and testimonies of it well thank you so much i and I wish you all the best and all the success with everything that you do and we will definitely definitely keep in touch lovely listeners thank you for lending us your ears you have listened to Let's Talk Business here on Adventist Radio London I'm your host Claudia Welsh and we are saying goodbye but not forever to our strategic consultant Aisha Ejaz thank you very much have a lovely evening thank you so much Dentist Radio London, inspiration for the soul.